This podcast is sponsored by Uncana, trusted natural solutions. Uncana is a leading voice of advocacy for CBD in the veteran LEO and federal communities. Veteran owned and operated, the Uncana team is actively fighting for DOD access to CBD with political pressure, community support, and a simple message. Hashtag OpNatural. Uncana is vertically integrated with industry leaders from seed to sell, supplying premium small batch products to America's best. Use code MENTORS4MIL the number four, M-I-L, at checkout at uncana.com to receive your amazing discount. Read the Mentors for Military disclaimer at mentorsformilitary.com slash disclaimer. First off, ma'am, thanks for coming on the show and really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I want to start off at the beginning of your time frame, you know, in the military. 29 of it, was it all special operations or were you conventional in the beginning? Yeah, I was conventional. So I spent a uh, short time, I think it was 88 to 92 over an 82nd. So 29 years, I never left Fort Bragg. So what? Never left Fort Bragg. Never left left Fort Bragg. Oh, my God, man. That's pretty wild. Yep. So you came in 11 Bang Bang or choose a different Le- invoice? No, I was 11 Charlie. Okay, 11 yeah. Charlie. All right. Yep. It's funny. I'll just kind of, you know, some people know I've put it out there. Um, so originally when I went to go talk to the recruiters like in 86, I think it was, Special Forces actually had the Special Forces baby program back then. Yeah. Um, 87, when I hit that 17 mark to do my delayed entry, that had gone away. SF had became a branch. So that was no longer an option. So basically said, Hey, uh, we can give you unassigned airborne, no bonus. All right, cool. I'm gonna go jump out of planes. No biggie. Um, and then yeah, 88, go down to Fort Benning, Georgia, one station unit training and poof, the rest is, uh, is history for the lack of better terms. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. while you were at Bragg, what was it that uh, caused you to think about going SF then? Was it because you had already came uh, as you were coming in? That's what you wanted to do or was it? Yeah. I, okay. I knew. Yeah. I knew beforehand I wanted to do special forces. Um, it was just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Yeah. So um, I knew I could get the airborne. Okay. Um, believe it or not, at the time I, I tried to go to range battalion, but they didn't take 18 or uh, 18, uh, 11 Charlies at the time. So it was like, all right, guys, whatever. So off I went to, uh, to brag to 82nd and you know like i said i can't complain it was a good place to grow up I, I learned some super valuable lessons there um one of my first squad leaders you know probably leadership 101 he's like hey man look at all the leaders you got he said take the good grab that put it in one pocket he said take the bad you still want to take that and put it in the other pocket just make sure you're always pulling from the the good pocket but remember what's in the bad pocket so that was kind of one of those that always stuck with me so um and you know, still use that today. So if I remember correctly, 82nd is more big on getting, going to jump master school than let's say going to ranger oh. school. Is it still kind of that way? Or did, is that what you recall at that time frame? No. Okay. So here's, here's the thing. So back in the day, um, I did ranger. Yes. But I also, uh, I tried to go to jump master. So there was a time in place when I was the only guy in my, uh, battalion that had, the jump master pretest. The problem was I was already slotted to go. I'd already passed SFAS. So I'd mm. already been, I was already range qualified. I passed SFAS, but the problem was back in those days, it was a year wait to go from SFAS to the Q course. So during my year of purgatory, for lack of better terms, I had my jump master card. I said, Hey, I want to go to jump master. 82nd was absolutely not. You are a ship jumper. We're not giving you one of our well-deserved jump master slots. I'm like, I'm still serving. Yeah. So, so to sit there and say, Jumpmaster is a priority in the 82nd. Yes, if you're in the 82nd and not leaving, probably is. <laughs> but if you're, if you're opting to leave the Almighty, it sure was not. Yeah, so, that's yeah. screwed up, man. That's totally screwed up. So here you were talking about the great NCO and some of the leadership messages, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're a ship back because you're going off the SFAS. One hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you could look at the company OML list, all the black marks. Who is that? Hog. Hog. It's like. <laughs> It's like you had nothing. So in essence, I had a year of going, all right, guys, cool. 
I'm just going to train hard and get ready for the Q course and, you know, still do my job. But it was just, it was frustrating, yeah. you know, especially on the jump, on the jump master side. It's like, look at, I'm trying to make myself better and golly, man, it was, I don't think I got jump master to like 2000 or I don't know, somewhere in the two early 2000s. It was crazy. What uh, just, year was it you went to ranger school then? Uh, 91. Okay. 10, 1091 last Dugway class. So, oh, it was yeah. the last. I was going to say it was somewhere yep. around that time frame. 10, I, 1090, we shut down Dugway. Yeah. Okay. I was at Benning and um, see, it must have been around 91 that I, I went through airborne school and was headed off that same direction. Mm-hmm. And I remember because a friend of mine um, who's on the show, actually one of the co hosts, went through Ranger School when it was still there. So it had to be 9091 time frame and I wasn't yep. really sure of when that happened. So you were the last hard class then. Literally. Well, that, literally <laughs> the last hard one. Yeah. Oh yep. my god. So what was that like? Uh cuz we just had a guest a couple of episodes ago that went through, you know, before they they got rid of um the whole desert phase and everything. So what was your experience like of the desert phase? So here's the thing. You got to understand when people say Dugway, what they forget is it's Dugway Proving Grounds, okay? So at no other phase in ranger school do they actually give you a pro mask and antropine and give you specific instructions on things to touch or not touch. So I guess some at some point, I'm not sure what year it happened, somebody decides, hey, let's pick up these cool softball-looking items out there in the Dugway Proving Grounds and decides to pass them along. And they ended up basically contaminating the platoon. So they had to do an emergency decon out in the desert. So they were very strict as far as, hey, don't be picking up stuff. Don't be messing with stuff. Although you would walk by certain places, see these telephone poles with bird cages, you know, happen to ask the RI, hey, what's up with this? Ah, oh, it's probably where they tested some gas or something. <laughs> it's like, oh, geez. Um, oh, yeah, man. You know, the the final when we were leaving out of there, you know, the final shower, if you want to say was in some old decon facility, no hot water, just cold water, you know? So, um, there was all your water points. There were basically water buffaloes and the water just tasted like ass. So it was a Dugway was a unique, uh, experience. You know, it's kind of one of those last phase. You remember some things you don't remember other things. So, yeah. Yeah. So how was it jumping in? That seemed to be back then, you know, one of the worst things you had to do was jump in there. You know, I don't recollect. Here's the thing. I can't remember, uh, to be honest with you, the Dugway jump. Or, uh, yeah, I don't remember. Ju- I don't know if we jumped into Dugway. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I can't remember. I know we did, obviously, Benning um, up in Dahlonega. Because Dahlonega, it was one of those, you're going into, what's it, Farm Garrett Farms, or that little postage stamp. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they're going to give you the machine gun because, oh, you're on airborne status, not some six-jump chump or whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> I remember that was pretty interesting because on – I remember the one for Garrett Farms, the jump master told the guy – I think I was like the third jumper because that's a Blackhawk jump up there. Told the number one guy, stand by or touched him or did something. He decides to go, and I'm like, I'm not sure where he's going. You know, He's like, hold on. It's like, I'm <laughs> no. good, buddy. I said, oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, so try God. to try to pull him out of trees. Um, <laughs> I remember Florida specifically because we did our jump into Florida like mid phase because they brought us back, and the leg rangers, for lack of better terms, were pissed off because they had to pull fire guard and they at least let us get five hours sleep. But I do not recollect the Dugway jump. I don't know if we jumped in uh, because you got to think at that point everything was shutting down for RTB out there to the point of we took our cadre from uh, Florida. And I think we just went straight from Florida. I think we were supposed to jump, but I, I for some reason, I don't remember jumping out there. So, hmm. yeah. So didn't the, uh, they may have had to pull fire duty or uh, guard duty and stuff like that, but didn't they get to ride the bus down to Florida? No, I think we all, to be honest, I think we all did because oh, did we, ended, okay. yeah, because we jumped mid phase. We didn't jump into. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So if you think, yeah. So if you think we went down to Florida, cause I'm pretty sure they bust us. I can't remember if we went if we went back to Benning or just left straight from Dahlonega to go down there. Okay. For some reason, I think there was a pit stop at Benning each time. I, I can't remember if there was or God, not. You know what? I I do kind of remember that it was because um, I think you went. I think you went back to Benning because they'd give you your eight hours to get either the crap fixed, go suck down some pogey, make yourself sick, whatever you're going to do. And then I, I'm I know we drove down to Florida because when we got down to Eglin. You know, you do all your, um, 
you know, paddling all your boat stuff. And then, cause remember, for, at least for us, the pokey birds brought us out into the field, but then we came out of the field, did a jump, you know, if you want to say midfield problem for lack of better term. So it's basically come back, get your five hours wink, go jump back in and then, you know, get ready to go do Santa Rosa Island. So, yeah. You know, when you start seeing all these guys coming back, you know, they've lost 30 pounds and, oh yeah, you know, looking it, for their first cheeseburger. Oh, you, but see, the problem is when you eat all that stuff, because I remember during the breaks, I think they gave you like eight hours. Hey, do whatever. What do you want to do? You want to eat. And then in turn, your body's not used to getting all that stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And then you just feel like crap. And then depending on the RI, when you came back, it might be a smoke session. And then all of a sudden, all your yumminess is getting puked out of you. And you're just like, <laughs> oh, here we go, man. <laughs> so you quickly learn, let's not make that mistake for the next, going to the next phase. So, yeah. yeah. So how was selection for you then? It, our- it was good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, I went, I guess, again, dropped as a child. I went in June. So I was like mm. a scorching, you know, summer class. I mean, it was different back then, right? So the, the SFAS that is currently in effect is not the SFAS that originally sure. was back, back in the day. Right. Um, you know, driven off of the Aussie, um, off of the Aussie SAS, their program. So back then land nav wasn't really land nav. They would basically have you walk the roads and it was discouraged to cut through the woods because if you were, if you walk the roads, they knew exactly how many miles they were putting on you. So it was all about just putting miles on your feet. And then obviously, you know, team weekend there. And that was really the make it or break it part. Um, if you sat there and, and survived all that crap through team week, you know, you weren't getting guys to quit. So it just, it was different seeing it. You know, because in essence, I had to go back out there and and uh, be a cadre at SFAS, which is a whole nother story. But oh, yeah. seeing that, yeah, we'll seeing, seeing that, that yeah. yeah, we'll get to that. But <laughs> but that was you know seeing that whole full circle. Um, do I say the SFAS, you know, of the the nineties was better? Eh, it was different. You know, it definitely had guys put miles on their feet. It wasn't focused on the navigation. It was more the just the physical. Hey, can you work the team and can you gut things out? Yeah. So. It was just, but again, being at Bragg, you know, sitting there walking Long Street, it, there's not a whole bunch of terrain. So it wasn't like you're really training for stuff. So it's like, all right, on the weekend, sitting there, go walk Long Street, being, you know, in the infantry. It's like they would do nice things like, all right, guys, check it out. We're, we got your Sicily drop zone, but no trucks to uh, to get you home. So you're walking back. So, I mean, you're always walking. So that wasn't really a big deal. Right. The, the, the team dynamics, that was pretty interesting, you know, because at no point, you know, was there any real – um, you heard some rumors, but you didn't know. And then once you get out there, then you're just figuring out, you know, Hey, how to work together as a team, make sure that your lashings are good. Your apparatus doesn't fall apart and yeah, man, just keep going. So, yeah, well, you know, we talk about it a lot about just, uh, keep going, never quit. And, yeah. um, that, that's the right attitude and approach. So when you got out of that, what was your MOS, which, uh, which one did you end up choosing? 18 Bravo. 18 Bravo. Okay. Yep. So as an 18 Bravo, you end up going at that time frame, uh, third group or was it seventh group? Seventh. Seventh. Okay. Yep. And, uh, how was your time there at seventh? You uh, know? Awesome. Yeah. It was, it was phenomenal. Uh, really. So again, I was very blessed throughout my career. You know, 82nd was a good place to grow up, get some experience there, but really going to seventh group. Cause you got to think at that point, we had some phenomenal team sergeants. And if you kind of understand seventh group history, you know, there were still a couple Vietnam vets floating around, so you still had that tidbit of info. But as mm-hmm. far as for seventh group, you know, as far as um, El Salvador, you know, you had a bunch of guys from there that actually had, if you want to say, combat experience that were able to pass those lessons on to guys. So yeah, phenomenal, um, phenomenal leadership during those, you know, early '90s times. What do you think was some of the most critical things that uh, was passed on to you in that moment? You know, from those guys, because I know I learned a hell of a lot from guys from Vietnam. Um, I ran across several that were just really great NCOs, you know. Well, you got to think back then there wasn't all these computers. There wasn't yep. things. Things weren't you can either call it easier or harder, depending on, I guess, what your uh, savviness when it comes to technology. But really from those team starts, it was make stuff happen. Mm-hmm. It was empower, empower you as an 18 bravo hey man you need to get targets go make it happen if you need me to facilitate great but really it was passing it wasn't so much that teams aren't going 
hey, trying to micromanage. It was really giving you the latitude to do your job. Yeah, there'd be some spot checking. Hey, you good on this? You got that? Let me see the POI, stuff like that. Rehearse classes, all that stuff, all that mentorship to make sure you're going the right path. But there wasn't that that babysitting, I guess, for lack of better terms, or that super adult supervision. It was, hey, you're an 18 Bravo. Make it happen. Roger that. And then obviously, you know, your Bravo is going to kind of, your senior is going to kind of show you the way, hey, here's how we do things, yada, yada. And yeah, that was, a you know, one of the huge things is just having that latitude that early on. And I mean, think about it. I got to group as a young E5. Mm-hmm. The amount of responsibility that you have in a special forces group on an ODA compared to just regular E5 in the army, it, it's night and day, man. Yeah. Because you can sit there and go from, yep, I'm doing all this stuff, you know, back here at Fort Bragg in the team room. Hey, we go down south. You might be the guy, you know, with somebody else that's going to see the ambassador or go meet with the RSO or do whatever, just depending on however the team's laid out. And it's like you're, in essence, a representative of the U.S. government because you're dealing with another foreign military. I mean, there's so many, you know, applications across the board of responsibility that. Yes, I am a representative for the United States government, and boom, we got to put out the best product possible. So, I was going to ask you, you know, what, what was that feeling like? I mean, because, you know, being a kid, you were at a state where you wanted to go into special forces. You didn't get the opportunity. You finally get there. When you arrive at your unit, you arrive at seventh group, and you get mm-hmm. the first time opportunity to really live as a special forces NCO. What was that like for you, you know, having now created your dream? Yeah, I mean, it was it was almost uh, surreal, right? So back in the day, you got to think when I went to Third Battalion, Third Battalion had just came back from Panama. So at that time, Third Battalion used to be the Fourth Battalion, but then they just left Charlie Company down there. So we were in the old 82nd Division area. So yes, I kind of knew because you got to think at that time we had Fifth Group, Third Group, and Seventh Group all on brag. Yeah, and really Third Group, they probably had the best if you want to say buildings and stuff like that, seventh group kind of had some all right ones. Fifth group was back in the old division area as well. But really when I showed up to my first team room, <clears throat> we got three teams that share this old world war two building. You know, you get the scuba team downstairs, which, but you laugh. It was actually a very <laughs> awesome setup, right? Was it? So we had the, scu- Oh yeah, it was. We had the scuba team downstairs. We had the mountain team eight, three next door. And I was on eight, one, but here's the beauty. The B team was across the street. There was one phone for the building. It might ring. You're banging on the floor for eight, five. Hey, pick up the phone. The call's for you. You know, nobody messed with you. You had your own cages there, you know, showers, you know, laundry machines, all that stuff was all right there. So it's like, boom, you just show up at the house. We had half of that upstairs, you know, your lounge couch, you know, you had your little fire escape in the back, you know, and it was good. It was good living up there and nobody messed with you. And we could just sit there and zip out to the training areas and, and do whatever. I mean, um, it was a good spot and just like, wow, you're sitting there going, all right, this is I'm really sad. I don't know if I had a picture in my mind, what I envisioned, but Hey, this will do. And this is all right. So yeah, yeah, let's go do it. Yeah. So, I mean, from that time frame on, you spent the remainder of your career with seventh. Yeah. Within special operations. Yeah. Okay. So I ended up, yeah. So I had to do a stint, you know, obviously, um, so I know you had John Sherbert on. It was funny because he was talking about the Sephardic program. Uh, I ended up, I was one of the the plank holders with that, you know, so Joe Crane picked me out. Um, and that's really kind of what got the whole Warhog tactical thing started. So John kind of laid out a little bit, hey, we started off at, at the team level, got the whole group done, then we moved up to company level. I believe that's why 7th Group was so quick in the hopper uh, into Afghanistan mm. because when 5th when fifth Group got there, you got to think – language really didn't matter they had to use terps anyway right so so i think you know whether it was USOC or sf command was like all right cool well who do we have next in the hopper well we've got an entire group that is safawa qualified that's now doing safawa 2 which was company operations hmm those i'm guessing i don't know this for fact but i make the assumption hey that's the deal and it was really the guys that came back from that first seventh group rotation that said hey man that stuff you taught me saved my life Oh. That was the hook. That was the hook setter to get Warhog Tactical started. Really? And then, okay, one hundred percent. Because you got to think, we were training. This was we started the Safari program pre nine eleven. Okay. There was no nine eleven going on, so in essence, we were training for war. We didn't even know it that it was going to be around the corner. 
So I remember 9-11 happening. I was in the Safawa team room when that all transpired. So yeah, what, John John was over there, if I remember correctly, right? John was in seventh group, yeah. Yeah, but he was yeah. over in Afghanistan or somewhere. He was out of no. country anyway. Wasn't um, he? I don't know where he was for for specifically 9-11. Yeah. He might have he might have been doing a trip down south because you gotta think when the Safawa committee was started in seventh group, we were no longer going down south. That was our sole job, was just basically training the entire group. And he kind of laid out the lineage. Hey, you know, there used to be the SOT program, which was the four week program. The schoolhouse couldn't support that in Sephardic. So they, in essence, said, hey, man, you guys are trainers. You've got enough quality people in your you know, groups. Go ahead and start the Special Force Advanced Urban Combat Committee. In my opinion, 7th took it the most serious. You know, our um, group commander, Colonel uh, Cambry at the time, he was like all in. You know, had Joe Crane as a team sergeant, said, hey, pick who you want. And it was – we had a, a rough kind of like POI, if you want to say, from yeah. – uh, I think it came out from Swick. Okay, that's but, what I was wondering. Okay, Go yeah, ahead. yeah. So Swick, Swick kind of put out the initial, okay. and it was the at least for us it was the bare bones. It's like, all right, but we we don't have this, we don't have that, you know. So we, I know we added like vehicle counter ambush. We had uh, combatives in there, urban movement, you know, barrier defeat, you know. So there was a bunch of different things we added to the program, and you'll ask some of the guys there. It was like almost going back to ranger school, but they were at least fed. I mean, we worked these boys from the dark to the dark. I mean, it was just go, go, go. Cause we only had them initially for three weeks and it was, let's get as much as we can in there. Yeah. So, um, I think, I think it was 18 months. We got the group done. And I kind I wish I had better annotated my times when we kind of started, when we got it done. Cause I can't remember if we were in the Safawak too, which we said, Hey, <clears throat> because every class we do a hot wash, we go, Hey, what can we do better? How can we be more efficient? How can we get stuff going? And really when we train the group, it's like, all right, now what? Well, then we said, Hey, we trained them at a team level. Why don't we get company operations going? How can we get these guys to fight as an entire SF company? And like I said, I believe that's what set the hook in motion. So obviously nine 11 happens. Fifth group initially goes, why did seventh group go next in the hopper? I think, my gut tells me it was either, hey, you've got an entire group that's, you know, advanced urban combat qualified. And, oh, by the way, you've got some companies that have been trained at the company level. You know, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. But, yeah, it was those guys. Like I said, it was those guys that came back. So, hey, man, that stuff you taught me saved my life. Yeah, buddy. So, yeah. yeah. That kind of laid yep. the the foundation for later on, which we'll get to in just a minute. But some point sure. here, you end up going to dog handler school, right? Uh, yeah. Becoming a dog handler? Up, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I ended up becoming a dog handler. Um, I think it was around two two thousand ten. I think it was. Oh, okay. So it was so, much later. Yeah. I was... yeah, it was later on. All right. What led you down that path? Um, originally, it was the command that kind of put me down that way because, again, I was a, a eight at the time trying to get promoted, but again, not trying to get fast track as far as team star in time. So hey, be able to go take the dog team over, and um, initially I didn't want to. wasn't I was like, really? Uh, uh. I said, I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Nope. So, but it was the best thing really, because for the, at least for me, it was like being an independent agent, right? I'd had enough, I'd had a lot of time. I knew the playbook as far as what the boys were doing. And then now you're just kind of out there making sure that number one, you're training your dog. You got to train yourself that you're bringing the best asset to the battlefield. And it's like, you know, what's going to go down because you've been with these guys enough. And it's like, all right, Hey, I'm going to position myself here or I've hit targets like this before. I'm going to go over here or, Hey, let me do this or whatever the case may be. So, you know, the playbook and then it just flows and, and it makes things easy. So did I hear you correctly that you went as an E8? Yeah. So you were coming off. T wow. You coming off, you said team sergeant time that that must've really been, I mean, very different coming out of team sergeant time and going, no, I, like I, you said, to a very, you know, a, a dog, you know, type of. Yeah. Situation. Yeah. Well, and, and that was the thing was just, it was something different, yeah. you know? Yeah. And like I said, I didn't want to, but you know, the powers that be kind of said, Hey man, this will be a good thing for you. And I was like, ah, you know, okay. But yeah, it was by far, uh, probably the most rewarding fact because, you know, I think there's two types of people out there. You got those that hate the dog or you got those that love the dog. Mm -hmm. Typically the ones that hate the dog, they're probably been bit by the dog. The ones that love them have probably had their life saved by the dog. And yeah. they're very much advocates for it. Or, but you've had some that have been bitten by him and also been saved by him. So, yeah. Um, but it's just, 
it's an invaluable tool that I learned early on. Um, you know, you can have all this technology above you telling you, Hey, here's what's going on in the battlefield. But really that four legged guy will use his nose and he doesn't lie. It's yeah. like giving you an indication, Hey, we need to go left. And it's like, Nope, big eye in the sky is telling me to go right. And sure enough, we go right. And old boy starts to scoot off. So now we got to do some more chasing. So, yeah, you know, it, it was one of those, one of those points. It's like, all right, I learned early on the value and then just watching some of these dogs and just the sacrifices that's happened to them on the battlefield Yeah, that, that God knows, you know, how many people are here today because of these dogs. Uh, I mean, yeah, whether, you know, all parts, you know, they're alive, limbs, eyes, whatever the case may be. Um, and you know, we finally got an SOF canine memorial down there at the special operations museum. So fitting place for it, pavers out there for all the dogs we've lost. And they are just, in my opinion, when you look at the GWAT, they are the unsung heroes that nobody really gives enough attention to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you really have to, have, uh, trust your instincts or at least trust the dog's instincts in this type of situation, because you're so used to checking what other, or tell, you know, like you said, you're listening back to what the command's telling you, what you should do and everything else. But yet if the dog's guiding you a different direction, you know, that dog has been trained. You, you're, you're really relying. You're one now. And, mm -hmm. um, that's, I mean, on an SF team, you guys are one single unit, you're lockstep. Everybody's got a, a job to do as part of the whole yep. mission, but that dog, is almost in command in a lot of cases if they're on point, if you're on point, you know, with the dog. It, totally. And the thing is people have to understand you're that dog's advocate. Mm -hmm. So he, he doesn't understand danger. He doesn't understand, Hey, there's umpteen foreign fighters in that building. We're getting ready to go hit. So it's like, does it make sense to send him in there or go, all right, we got to do another course of action because if I just arbitrarily launch him in there, I know he's going to get killed. Yeah. Okay. Now I need him for the next night and he's not there. So would he go? Absolutely. He's going to go wide open, but nope. You know, I got to sit there and go, not tonight, buddy. You know, let's, let's look at something else because we know, we know they're in there. We know they're not going to come out. We know this is going to be a fight. So you just got to make sure that you're being smart with him. So it must've been after this time frame then that you end up going back to Bragg to be an instructor there. No, I went to, I was, uh, 2000, 2002 to 2004 is when I was out at Camp McCall. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know why I was thinking that you were saying it was yeah, later. I, so you must have been no. like an E7 at that time frame? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. I got kind of punished, right? <clears throat> um, I was not the most, let's just say, politically correct person when I was in seventh group. I would very much <laughs> let my voice be heard. And in turn, it kind of cost me. So originally, when I was um, got picked up to go to SWIC, I was supposed to go out to range 37. So I was supposed to go to Delta Company 2nd Battalion. Would make sense, right? Yeah. Sephardic grad, you know, down at the SIF, teaching at the uh, Special, Advanced, Special Force Advanced Urban Combat Committee. Yep. Oh, no. There were some certain people in places that I had irritated along my career that was like, oh, no, you're going to go out to Camp McCall. And not only are you going to go to Camp McCall, but you're going to go to SFAS. So in essence, I had Groundhog Day every 30 days, same thing all over again <laughs> with, oh, by the way, that was during the 750 ramp up, which I don't know if that's still going on or what the debacle is with that. But it was just, for me, it was not a very good place. Um, and yeah, one of those that it's like, what am I doing? So, so take me back then, uh, between the time frame that you attended SFAS and the time frame yep. that you were there as an instructor, what were the things that you noticed, um, right off the bat? And did you feel like the quality, I guess, is the biggest thing because that's still talked about all the time about whether or not, you know, the quality is still there. Yeah. You know, is the quality guys there? I think there are. All right. But here's the bottom line. You cannot put a no VW process in place to try to keep people from quitting just to arbitrarily get through this course. Mm -hmm. Hey, man, if a guy doesn't want to be there, be gone with you right. because I'm going to have to be the guy looking for him out in the woods or he's going to be the guy, God forbid, he slips through the cracks that isn't going to be there when we're in a gunfight. But that was one of the things they put in place was um, – you know, these VW windows. So we'll, they can't VW for the first seven days or 14 days. It just became ridiculous. So one of the things is we had to pull basically hut duty. So you're there as like the, the CQ. So you're there for 24 hours 
just to keep an eye on the um, the candidates out there. Okay. I would have guys knocking the door during this no VW window going, Sergeant, I want to quit. Hey, bud, here's the deal. You can't quit. Okay. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I would say, here's the deal. You're going to do something tomorrow. Can't tell you what it is. Just refuse to train. They'll kick you out. And then, of course, they're coming back to me going, you can't be telling them that. I'm like, why not? I said, why do I want a guy here that is basically creeping out in the middle of the night to tap on my door, says he wants to quit? Why am I keeping him? Yeah. Because because if it's in the back of his head now, when's he going to quit me when I really need it? Yeah. So it, it was just things like that that I was – I was very intimate or I'd do things like I would spot check guys rucksacks because you'd see the start points. You go a couple hundred meters and these all the rocks from the gravel out there at Camp McCall in the nice little MRE bags laying around. So you're sitting there going, I know this dude's dumping, you know, their weight. So you happen to spot check guys. What are you doing spot checking? Hey, man, I'm trying to just enforce the standards. I was going to say you're the instructor. Exactly. But that was the push from the command was it was that whole 750 ramp up. So you got to think this was during the time when typically we graduated three, 350 across the board. Mm-hmm. Guardsmen, uh, officers, active duty enlisted. Now, all of a sudden you want to go, oh, we're going to do 750 active duty enlisted graduates per year. Uh, you've lost your mind. You know, you got a pulse. Come on board, man. Give it a shake. But they just put a whole burden on the system. And, you know, the system was halfway flawed one time because I remember we had never went to a bat for a candidate ever because pretty much they weren't going to bat for for the most part. This one kid, we went to bat for him because something I forget what was in his record there that the command wanted to give him the boot. And we're like, no way, dude, this kid has excelled out here. He's what we want. Oh, no, he's got to go. I'm like. Okay, so we had all the cadre doing, you know, doing stuff, trying to voice for this kid. And I don't remember if he ever made it or not, but it was just the point being, it's like, how role reversed is that? You know, you want to boot the guy we want to keep, yet God knows how many of these other cats we want to boot and you say keep them. So it was just a very odd dynamic. And whenever you put a number on, you know, especially a special operations unit, you're going down the tubes, man. It's the wrong answer. Yeah. So I, I got it, you know. Burn on the force, GWAT, continual burn. Roger, figure yeah. another solution. Quality guys will do quality things. You know, and there's been all kinds of different stories of things going along the way. And I'm not going to go down all those deals, but you've had some guys slip through the cracks. And it's just, you know, why do that? Yeah. Because he, he, here's the deal. I remember my, my buddies over at SUT telling me, hey, man, you know, we got guys quitting over here. And I'm like, what? Now, you go back again, and I'll use you know the '90s staple SFAS. Anyone that quit, sure they quit then. Did anyone quit during the course? Nope. I'll be a realist and say, were there guys dropped? You had the guys that got DWEs or academic or something like that, sure, but nobody quit. And you're getting guys that are over at SUT and Robin Sage wanting to quit, and they're having to keep them. And I'm just like, well, obviously we failed, but the command didn't want to hear that. So wait, they made it all the way to Robin Sage, and then they they quit. They wanted to. Oh, wow. yeah. Oh, it, it was crazy. It was just that whole, and I don't know if the 750 ramp up still going on, but that whole debacle, you know, the 0204 time frame when, you know, you had GP mediums out there because it wasn't enough housing and trying to get all these people out there and just the silliness going on of the bodies they were trying to pump through. It yeah. was like, hey, man, what what's going on? So... You know, I think we we obviously have gone through this similar type of thing. I don't know if the 750 is still on, but, uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard in the news just all of the the feedback that's been going on over the last two or three years around how the quality of the training is not there. And and a lot of it is because of the same thing. I mean, what Special Forces is doing downrange right now is a critical mission, especially since the conventional army has been pulled back, you know, for the most part. So, Mm -hmm. you know, SF is is in high demand. And so is special operations, but uh, most other special operations jobs, but SF is definitely in high demand. So that Mm -hmm. means, of course, you're going to push through or you're going to um, perhaps modify the system. Does that mean that you're not getting a quality product? Well, you're probably still getting great quality product back then. 
but there was some that were, you know, allowed to yep. slip through that went through the training and, and those types of things, but they're going to get taken care of when they get to the unit. Right. I mean, sure. yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, I think that was the point, but there shouldn't, we're looking at it from the standpoint of why should there be a burden, especially from the schoolhouse standpoint, because now I'm part of the problem, not the solution. Hmm. So if I'm not doing my job, if you think about it yeah. at SFAS, assessment and selection yeah that's the start so if i can yeah it, exactly so if the command's going to tell me you've got to restrict guys from quitting man if you even speak i want to quit pack your bags dude i'm not talking you out of it yeah. i would try to entice dudes i'm sitting there with my warm truck it's out there pouring mm, look at these yummy donuts you can have one all you gotta do is quit jump in the back <laughs> why why wouldn't you right yeah because i want i want the guy that's in it to win it you know, I want the guys, no, sir, I'm good to go. <sighs> Moving out to his next point. Roger that, dude. Yeah. And that's that's the thing, man. Do you is... know uh, Mike Pritz? Um, I don't. Okay, because I was going to say, uh, I thought he was there at SWIC during this time frame, and I think he was SUT. But um, anyway, he was talking about a story of where he was an instructor and or maybe it was when he was going through the training. I think it was when he was going through the training. It's pouring down rain. You know, they're in the their uh, barracks and everything. You can hear it outside, you know, really heavy lightning and downpour. And they walk outside and the rain's coming down. And guys already didn't even want to fall out in the formation. They wanted to quit right then, right? Mm -hmm. But as soon as that rain hit them and they talked about, you know, you got to get on the truck and everything. He said guys just started dropping like flies. Just like, no, nah, I'm done. I'm out. I check out. I didn't even want to be out in the rain. You know, yeah. so yeah, it's just kind of crazy it, when you hear that kind of th stuff. But that's what you're, that's what I'm talking about. So like for the SUT and uh, Robin Sage side, right? <clears throat> if you happen to luck out on a nice weather SFAS class, you didn't get rained on or anything like that. Oh, this isn't bad. Now, next time they're out in the woods and they're getting poured on, it's like, I'm out. See you later. I mean, I had respect for the kids that we had some horrible ice storms, you know, different periods when I was out there. And I mean, typically we would sit there and hey, no bones thrown to the candidates, right? They can just do whatever. There were times it was like, hey, dude, we got to get some fires going because we're basically going to freeze these kids to death because they've stopped moving. They've done the event. Roger that, you know. Hey, guys, go do your life skills and start a fire. We can do that. Oh, yeah. You know, have at it. Try to find you some dry wood. Good luck. But yeah. the, the point being is I got more respect for those guys because they're out there in the rain, the snow, the ice, right, going after it. You right. know, so I know at least environmentally, hey, you're going to go through, you know, you're not going to quit because trust me, that entire class could have said, hey, we're done. And yeah. I don't remember if we had a VW window or not. I don't know. It's just crazy times. But the point being is you just want the guy that it doesn't matter what's going on. He's not going to quit. He's in it to win it. So, yeah. So you fast forward 29 years of service. You decide to mm -hmm. get out. Um, you said the catalyst for starting Warhawk was, you know, way back when, um, you yep. know, when, when the whole Sephardic. So take me through that. What was it that, does it something you did immediately after transition or did you have some other type of, you know, job or no. something like that? You, okay. No, we knew. So here's the thing. Um, so you got to think really my business was incorporated back in 98, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So I was teaching North Carolina concealed carry when that first came along. Um, so I had my business set up. I had to do a rebranding. Okay. Be, be, yeah, because somebody said, man, your business name is rubbish. I was like, all right. So how do you plug your last name in? Hog. All right. That's how we came up with the whole war hog. So I knew, um, you know, like I said, 2002 was the, the hook setter to go, hey, man, I'm going to get war hog tactical. Although I didn't know it was going to be war hog tactical then, but I was going to have my training company um, leaning forward. So we were prepping during that whole transition period. Which, from the entrepreneurial standpoint, the Army does a horrible job at setting you up for success. Mm. Um, you know, the whole boost of business class is yep. is a joke. Yep. Um, don't tell me to go to SBA to get a loan. Look, I don't need a loan. And you don't know what you don't know, right? Right. So what did I know about e-commerce? Nothing. What did I know about branding? Nothing. What did I know about marketing? Nothing. What did I know about logo design? Nothing. Uh, patent and trademark? Nothing. Manufacturing in the U.S.? Nothing. Um, you know, just getting stuff going nothing so i think at least in my mind because i don't know i need all this stuff i said man we're like at the 80 percent solution and it wasn't until i went to first shot show as a civilian now my industry partners are pimping me going hey man what's your social uh oh yeah we're, we're building it 
or what's your website under construction you know uh just throwing <laughs> rubbish at him i'm like oh geez man i, I gotta have that stuff yeah and, and i was so i thought i was so far ahead i was so far behind so you know really and that's kind of what you know so warhawk tactical is taking twofold two things you know obviously we do mobile firearm tactical and canine training to law-abiding citizens military and law enforcement agencies Yes, we consult for both the defense and the firearms industry. Yes, we're doing a, a product line as well. However, probably my best joy is watching, especially my veteran entrepreneurs, although I'm starting to see a lot from, uh, just say, the first responders. So whether it's uh, law enforcement, fire, or even EMS that are looking to retire at that point and trying just to give them my tidbits to go, hey, man, I'm not claiming to be an expert, but here's just some lessons I have learned along the way and just share it with them so that they're not struggling. So hopefully when they get out, it's an easy transition. But the other part is, you know, the thing that people forget when they're transitioning is you've got to look at how much is your identity is tied to your title, your job, whatever the case may be. Great point. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people want to sit there and put this veteran suicide on PTS, and that's a whole other topic we can go down in a minute. But my point being is I think a lot of it just has to boil down to identity. So, for example, when Rick retired from the military, Rick, you know, if you want to say my military site, that's done. That wasn't my military service did not identify or, you know, didn't basically define, yeah. didn't define who I am. Yeah. Am I proud of it? Absolutely. Sure. Was I blessed? 100%. But we're starting the next chapter, you know, Warhawk Tactical, and now that's that's the drive. That's where we're going. That's where we're leaning. So how do you get guys, you know, and how do you tell Uncle Sugar to quit pushing guys to do a resume and, and do whatever? It's like, to me, I would say push every guy going out to be an entrepreneur hmm. because I've just worked for the man for the last 29 years. I am the man. So now I at least control my destiny. Do I work n more now? than I did when I was in 100%. I mean, it is a constant 24 seven grind and I'm still trying to figure the balance. Cause mom is like, really, you got to take this phone call at <laughs> yeah. eight, nine o'clock. And I'm like, but right. babe, it's from people on the West coast. I've been waiting on this call for a week, you know, it's, it's, you know, so we're still trying to figure all that stuff out, but I would just, I would tell guys out there, you know, especially my veteran guys go be an entrepreneur, man. It is reach out. I mean, I'll tell you what, not claiming to be an expert, but I will give you my lessons learned and run your own destiny, man. Control your own boat. It's uh, interesting that you say that, though, because I think in some cases, not all, um, I think in the soft community, maybe, you know, because of uh, maybe additional training, the mindset and everything else, I do see it a lot within that, that community. But within a lot of the people within the military, I think um, my feeling is, is that they... They may struggle with the entrepreneurial route because perhaps they've been used to Uncle Sam telling them where to be, where to go, um, you know, what time to be there, what they're going to be doing ahead of time on the training schedule or, you know, what the mission and objective is. What you're talking about, you're going to walk out there and have to figure all that shit out by yourself. You are. But if you're smart, and this is kind of where I, I wasn't as smart as I should have been, I didn't. I didn't pick up the right mentors, I guess, for lack of better terms, mm, and, okay. and kind of give me some guidance because I was, I think I was slightly ignorant going, ah, you know, I've got this in my mind. I'm thinking I'm already at the 80% solution. I'm good. Yeah. It's just putting some final touches on and we're off to the races. And then reality slaps you in the face. And then you're like, oh man, all right, I got to throttle back. Now I got to start reaching out to people going, Hey man, how'd you do when you first got out? what did you do? Hey, how'd you do this? What are you doing for this? Well, you had I a mean, good network, obviously. You, you obviously, well, I, yeah, you built that. I, I, I did, but I could have done better. Yeah. And that's a whole nother, you know, topic in itself because I believe personally, like when Joe Andres was killed in 2005, I think I unbeknownst put up some mental barricades to really harnessing relationships and friendships, right? Mm -hmm. Did I have friends? Sure. Did I really go the extra mile for people? No, I didn't. Um, and I think, had that not happened per se, would I have had better relationships and would I have been more apt to reach out and do some things like that? Maybe I, I would have. But really, it's if I could go back in time, if there's you know a point you could do that is really reach out to those mentors prior to and start going, hey, man, who do you recommend for a website? And yes, it's, it breathes well. You see the GoDaddy ad jump on there, but they're not the best e-commerce. You know, It might be something to get your foot in the door, but – 
I'm getting ready to go on my third one. You know, it's just like continual. I need to quit wasting time on things that I could have done from the get go, but you don't know what you don't know. So it's really just getting that good mentorship to kind of point things in the right direction. And like the one thing people always ask me, Hey man, should I be an S corp or LLC? Go talk to a CPA. I will not give anyone advice on that one because that's all taxes and everything else. Go seek the true professional where you can go, Hey, here's what I'm looking at for my business model. Here's what I'm looking to do and let them give you that sound advice. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the stuff we can talk about all day long. But as far as that, I will not make that decision for somebody. Yeah. So what are some of the other golden nuggets that nuggets that you pass on to these guys then? You know, about branding. So everyone I talk to, I try to go plug your name in. And I got it. There's some people out there that have some wonky names. Trust me, be be innovative and think about how can you plug it in. Yeah, I just plugged in you know, Warhog Tactical, because that's what we're doing. Could I have plugged in something else at the end? I could have. Right. But ta- but Tactical kind of covered at least the the sphere that I was looking at. I would say if you look at, and again, I'm a big history buff. If you look at history, some of your other, you know, your older companies. So for example, why is Ford called Ford? You know, why is Smith and Wesson, Smith and Wesson? Glock, Glock. I mean, you can go down the road. They are people's names. Yep. So good or bad, because that, that, that could be a bad thing too, right? Because when an individual, well, the, the organization is named after the individual and let's say they do something in the public, mm-hmm. perception wise, it's not acceptable. Then that whole organization may suffer because of that as well. One, 100%. Yeah. How, however, you would hope that, Hey, if it's your company, your name, because in essence, that's what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I go out there and people see Rick Hogg acting like a jackass, now, granted, I don't have a staff underneath me. Hopefully, we will one day. But number one, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to jeopardize my reputation. Number two, I don't want to jeopardize my staff because if somebody's entrusted me for a job, you know what? I'm going to give them that safety blanket and act the way I should or make decisions that are smart. So I got it. But as the CEO, you should be out there leading by example. So yeah. hopefully, you're not acting acting like the jackass. So it shouldn't be a drama. Right. But to me, it's, it's how do... How do I know whoever, you know, look at a, a, a benign product, you know, um, pick something out there. If it's a name or if it's not someone's name, you know, you're hoping that you get that brand recognition with it. Right. So to me, it was, you know, going into especially the, the tactical space or the training space. Hey, man, I want you to know you're getting Rick Hogg, i.e. Warhog Tactical. That's who's coming out to train. That's who's who's going to be there passing my experience onto you that hoping god forbid you never have to use it but if you do you've got the skill too yeah that's a good point i think um the other aspect that could potentially limit an individual when you do use the name and I, i i never really thought about it that much in terms of early days you're right early companies that's really what they relied on is using the names mm-hmm. because it stood for something right it stood for character trustworthiness all those types of things because you are who you are and how you represent yourself so they pass that on to the company the downside of that though is if you're building a, a brand and building a company so that you can sell it then a name having a name could actually be something that's a detriment to um an organization who's looking at buying a company because they may look at it and unless you created quite a, a big brand, um, they, they're going to have to change that name. They're going to have to bring it into their organization and usually change it to their company. So it's just a it's something to consider. I like your idea sure. of like consider everything. <clears throat> I love the fact yeah. that, you, you know, you chose Warhog, but it's Warhog tactical. It's Warhog training. It's Warhog. So now you can, that last word, like you were mentioning, you can then, you can then tag on to anything. The brand is Warhog. Sure. Yeah. One, 100% it is. Yeah. 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 yeah we, we just plugged in the tactical just to kind of give it that final finishing touch. You know, could we do Warhog? Yeah, we could. But again, it's depending who's looking at it, it's still a little benign. All right. What's this Warhog? You yeah. go Warhog tactical. Roger that. I know kind of that space that you're working in. Right. But I, I think, you know, I got it. Will we sell Warhog one day? I, who knows? Yeah. Will will that work? I think it will. I think it'd work for anybody. Um, yeah, but it's not it's not Rick Hogg tactical. And it's I not. think that's the difference but is because Warhog it, could be disassociated as well, right? It it could be. Yeah. But the hog the hog two G's, that's the kicker. Sure. Right. 
you know what I'm saying? So yeah. we dig in. It's like, no, man, you're, yes, it's not Rick Hogg tactical. Yes, it's War Hogg tactical. Um, but trying to play on a whole bunch of things. And again, that was from getting input from people. Yeah. You know, just again, looking at that mentorship going, could I have called it Rick Hogg tactical? I could. I could have. But I'm trying to go, all right, hey, if you look at the hog, that's my last name. We got it plugged in there. Tactical, yep, this kind of given the space. War, yeah, we're talking about that's my experience that I'm bringing to this plate. So that's how we kind of just came up with all that wrapping it up into one solid piece. And and I, I challenge guys, think about it, man. Get down into the weeds, especially on, on your company name. Just don't be so quick to go, hey, I'm going to be – company x no man get there and go what is the whole driving factor and then you can articulate to people and go well, why are you warhog i mean i still got some people today that don't realize my last name's hog and yeah. i'm like yeah guys really it's like you're warhog well yeah i'm rick hog but i think oh that's your last name it's like yeah <laughs> they're like that's ingenious i'm like okay so yeah so looking at um beyond that i mean i think the thing that you want to do is kind of differentiate your organization or what it is that you do in your space let's say tactical a lot of people mm -hmm. are getting off active duty and going to the tactical side of things sure. so how do you um kind of tell somebody how when they're, when they're going into a specific area a uh, specific um you know focus where how is it that they determine how to differentiate themselves from somebody else so how did how did you differentiate Warhog from any other tactical organization in North Carolina, especially around Fort Bragg? Yeah. So the thing with Warhog, we bring twenty nine years special operations combat experience. All right. And you can sit there and go, Yep, there's a dime a dozen. Roger that. We've got our special forces advanced urban combat instructor. So I've got both the teaching side, which you could say, Hey, you're doing foreign alternative defense, but most people won't know what fit is. You mm -hmm. just go, okay. So but they understand Special Forces Advanced Urban Combat Instructor. Roger that. All right. So you got that. You got your combat experience. And then really the hook line that sets me apart from all my peers is the canine experience. Mm -hmm. So now when I'm dealing with either other militaries or especially my LE guys, that's a game changer. Like, you're a dog guy? Roger that. So how do we incorporate dogs in your department with your SWAT teams or ERT or whatever name they're using? Um to bring things to the next level. But Rick, so, what you did is you did a lot of soul searching, it sounded like, and realized the things that you felt like you were really strong at and brought those attributes out whenever you created your organization. And that's where mm -hmm. you're really saying that it, when, when a person's looking at a name or a person's looking to be an entrepreneur, they're really looking introspectively to make sure they understand who they are as an individual. What are the things that they enjoy, enjoy doing most? You know, do they want to actually take some of those lessons <laughs> learned and things that they did maybe even within the military and translate mm -hmm. that? I did the exact same thing, but I did it from a business standpoint, you know, and um, I, I didn't take, you know, the things that I did necessarily within the military and apply them exactly like say you did in a tactical environment, but instead what I did is I applied them to a business side of it and you can yeah. do that. I, one, I think that's what you're saying, right? You can no, yeah, one, one, yeah. 100%. Yeah. One, it, and, and look at, I went down the tactical realm because I believe that's my calling. Mm -hmm. 2002, my mates come back. Hey, that stuff you taught me saved my life. Tell me that won't change your life. It changed mine. Yeah. It changed mine to the fact of, okay, now for, let me think, two, four, we got 15 years later, I'm honing my craft on the battlefield so that now when I come out and whether I'm teaching my civilians, my military, my law enforcement, you are getting my experience because I have a passion for it. Yep. I, I just didn't come out and go, man, I'm retiring. Let me start a tactical company. Nope. Mm -hmm. That is my passion. That is my drive. But you bring up a great point because, you know, Let's use some some great veteran or some great SF veteran companies out there, right? So ATAX Camo, for example, you got yeah. Clint Hoover, third grouper, all right, running a camo company. You still listen, still saying this is a tactical line? Yeah, you could. Yeah. But dude, you've got manufacturing. It, it, talking to Clint, mind blowing the stuff that he's got to deal with. Okay. Yeah. Look at the boys over at um Horse Soldier Bourbon, right? Yes, they went into Afghanistan first things, but you know what? These guys came out, they're making bourbon. I yeah. mean, who does, who does that right. SF guys? Right. I mean, you've got SF guys in the nutrition world. You got SF guys in the fitness world. You got SF guys all over. You got woodworkers. I mean, we can go on and on and lay out the laundry list of diversity that a guy from the special operations community brings out to the world. It's not always tactical right. for me. That is, that is my calling. That is what I want to do. 
I tell you, you know, the listeners out there, I am in this space because I want to fully pass on my knowledge and my experience to someone that, and I say this, I pray, God forbid you ever have to use the skill, but if you do, you're like my buddies that came back from Afghanistan going, hey man, that stuff you taught me saved my life. I don't ever want to get that call, that that email, but at least you got that insurance policy to go, hey, so that's the driving factor behind that. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that's where a lot of people miss it because I can't tell you how many I've ran into and you probably have as well where they go, well, I'm not really quite sure what my passion or my purpose is. Well, you've, you've got to find that. That yep. That is the most you know important aspect of everything you're going to do going forward because I've, I've actually gone to a world in which I, I had a passion, I had a purpose, and I lost it because mm-hmm. I became so enamored with something else, you know, with um, the climb, you know, the fight and everything, you know, like out in the corporate world. I, I started getting enamored with climbing a corporate ladder, becoming an executive in a Fortune 50 company. I had a chance to, you know, I did all of that. And, and yet when I did it, I started losing my identity, myself, mm-hmm. my passion, my purpose. And it was somebody who said, Robert, you got to get back to that. Because once you get yeah. back to that, you find yourself once again and and that's exactly what happened. You know, once, it, once I got full, you know, full circle, it took me a long time though. Sure. You know? But, but think about it, Robert, right? You're going to work again for another man. Yeah. And and you're basically running. And I hate to say, it, and I'm not saying anything bad to you, but it's, it's, you're running their coattails and you're doing great things for them. True. But to me, but for me as my company, I will work 24, seven, 365. Granted, mom won't be super happy. Hopefully, she's not listening here. You know, <laughs> you throwing things at me, but it it's all for me, right? And the ident- and, and like or for you said, her, for them, well, well yeah, your yes. family, yeah, yes, it, it, it's for my family at the end of the day. Is, right. is ultimately what it's for. You're building this whole enterprise for them. But the point being is, yes, and I keep telling her, hey, one of these days things will settle down and we'll be good. But it's like you said, you can easily get roped in or lose that identity for someone else. Hey man, uh, Warhog is here to stay. You know, yeah. Pretty much, if you look at, you know, brand apparel I'm wearing, it's all Warhog driven. Why? Because it's my brand. It's what I'm looking to push. Um, partner with some great companies out there, but it's it's we need to get the Warhog message out there. You know, pass that stuff on. But then, you know, like you said at the end of the day, it's taking care of the fellow vets out there. Same thing with, and, and I've noticed too since I'm getting into that LE space, and same thing with the first responders. Man. Those guys are in the same boat. Yeah. You know, they, they end up leaving a department. Their identity is tied. They were officer so-and-so or SWAT member so-and-so. And you're watching an astronomical, you know, suicide rate over there. And and I sit there and go, that's where the correlation's got to be. It's got to be tied to this identity. And post-traumatic stress, so, by the way. I mean, like, well, you know, we've talked about before. They have to drive by the scene or of, you know, wherever the event happened. Sure. That's 7,000 miles away, you yeah. know, for, for the combat vets. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I mean, there's a bunch going on, but I think at the end of the day, the underlying factor is how do we educate guys where your identity is not tied to your prior job or your current job? Mm. You know, it's, it's yes, take pride in it. Yes, do the best job you can. But man, when you go to hang up that uniform for the last time, you hang it up for the last time. And it's kind of like the guys you see, and I'm not bad mouthing my buddies that are going overseas doing contract and stuff. But if you're over there chasing something that you want to do when you're active, then why'd you get out? Yeah. You know, so I I just, and again, I'm not smashing anyone's decisions. I get it. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's whatever. But the point being, at least for me, yes, I will wear my ATAX, you know, ghost pattern. It's not the green because I prefer the ghost because it's not so military-esque and I'm not sporting any of my other camo stuff. Yes, I'll support Clinton, his, uh, his company there. But it's how do you break that tie to go, I am done doing what I'm doing. Now, what is this next chapter of life? And I'm not defined by my military brand, history, whatever. I am me for me. And now how do we start this next chapter? Still be proud and, prideful in what you did. Still yeah. say, hey, man, you know, I was super blessed all the opportunities I was given. But don't, man, guys, don't let it define who you are. You are you. So yeah, it's just getting that, getting that message. So, um, what's next for Rick and Warhog? Oh my God. Uh, I'd like to find a break here at some point, but yeah, we're trying to figure it. It's with this whole pandemic going on. 
we're trying to navigate and figure that out with everybody else. Yeah. So obviously being a firearm training company, ammo has become, um, you know, it's becoming in less demand. and less or yeah. in demand, more expensive. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's affecting some of our clients. Um, I did do an airsoft video with Pantio productions. I was kind of one of these guys that were skeptical until I went to shot show this year. Um, shot on one of the evic.com gun power targets and that sold me for being a great supplemental tool so it's just trying to give guys different options to keep their skills up but yeah we we had to pretty much scrap the entire 2020 calendar because we're we're on mobile i'm not fixed based yeah so where i'm going all over the country now i've got all these different states i've got to deal with so all of a sudden some ranges are are essential some aren't and you're like, all right, so versus being having a very proactive year, I'm um, have a very reactive year. Yeah. So um, I'm probably going to look at around November. And you know why that I'll start leaning towards 2021 and see how we're going to start laying that one out. Yeah. Um, you know, we're working on, we've got some companies here. So obviously the pandemic put us behind on our, uh, our product line. So we're looking to do a couple product line launches, but manufacturing here in the U.S. is... A little interesting because, again, um, trying to source material and the whole supply chain across the board is a little um, sketchy right now. So we're we're in the process of finishing up some R&D stuff. So hopefully we'll – I'm hoping, um, if not by the end of the year, first part of 2021, we'll start launching some Warhog products. Um, and, yeah, so we'll do some training. We'll get some product stuff, keep doing our consulting, and uh, trying to get the – the word out there across the board. And like I said, I, I do enjoy helping out, you know, my up and coming entrepreneurs as well. So, yeah, well that, on that note there, so people, you do have a website now cause you did do branding, I, you know, taking this yep. fast forward. So, so tell us about how they can find you on social media, how they can find your website, yep. all that kind of good stuff. So website is warhog, W A R H O two G's G G. So W A R H O G G.com. Uh, I did take the tactical off of that. Just looking for simplicity's sake of, Hey, typing in warhog, there you go. So warhog.com right. is the website. Um, that's got all of our products on there, upcoming training. And then across the board on social, uh, so whether it's Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, everything is Warhog Tactical. So I did have the tactical on that, so you can find us all there. Um, Instagram is probably the best to shoot me a message if you're looking to do something there. And then, oh, by the way, I'm also a co-host with my good friend, Mark Kelly of Kelly Defense. So we've got the On the Range podcast. Yep. Um, so for your listeners out there, if they want to DM us any questions, you know, we try to hit that up. Um, you bet. But we, we've we been working on trying to get guests on, so we've been doing that as well. So, um, well, tell, the, tell the audience what the uh, premise is behind On the Range podcast. So the premise of On the Range is here's the easy thing, all things America. Yeah. It is really. So we started out with Mark's idea, hey, let's do a podcast during this pandemic. Okay, sounds good. He was the one that did all the legs. We initially started doing just a benign phone call, um, recording on Anchor. And then next, you know, we moved up to video. You can see here, I don't know if, if you put this out video live, but, you know, we've got a microphone. So, and you can see we're halfway in the Warhog, you know, podcast studio, nice American flag in the back. But no, we've had, um, so if you look at some of our guests, um, we've had Marcus Torgerson. So Marcus is a big Krav Maga master, Canadian by birth, right? So, but does he fit of all things American? Heck yeah, he does. Um, so we had Fernando Coella who from Pantio production. So my, all my training, uh, instructional videos come from Pantio. So we actually did with Fernando. He was our number 10 podcast. We did that on the road. So we actually filmed down there at Pantio. Mark brought a GoPro. He had his little recording widget. We got that one live. Um, we've had Pat Mac, um, CJ Ortiz, um, we had Paul from over at Notch. Um, we had Clint from ATAX. And then we got a couple other people on the hopper. So, yeah, I mean, we're bringing our guests in, but then we kind of do our comms check where we just – we have a good time and, and cut up, man. couple buddies chatting. We talked about Evil Knievel, and Mark just about died where <laughs> – I mean, think about Evil Knievel, right? Here's a guy that he's got 50-50 shot of being fabulous or an absolute train wreck. Yeah. And he's like – I'm going to go do it anyway on an old Harley Davidson with no shocks. And yeah, we just, we're in a jumpsuit. you know, yeah. we're in a jumpsuit. Yep. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes with the cape, you know, but it's just, we yep. have a good time, yeah. you know, and, and it's really just trying to, you know, we do, we try to get people to give, 
you know, again, going to the veteran entrepreneur, or just the entrepreneur, pulling some info from these guys. Hey, give me a life lesson. Give me something you've learned that you want to pass on to guys. Cause I think that's important. If you're going to sit there and spend, you know, an hour plus of your time listening to a podcast, what's the takeaway, right? You know, uh, how are you either motivated to do something? How are you learning something? How are you getting better? Yeah. Um, yes, we can be comical. Don't get me wrong. And, you know, don't really try to get into the politics stuff, to be honest with you, because it really doesn't get you a whole bunch of places. Right. Um, but yeah, just a couple buddies having a good time and having some guests on. And, and it is raw where we just basically we learned. I think Pat Mack was the one um, we missed a little bit because we didn't press the record button. So we we're trying to do some sound checks and we started chatting and hang on, go back and hit the the button there. So pretty much whenever guests dial in, we've already got it recording and just you start raw. So the whole there's really no intro. There's really no script. It's just kind of like we're doing. Let's just yeah. have a conversation, pose some questions, and yeah, man, have a good time. So Love it. Rick, yeah, buddy. Man, I really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your journey and everything, and especially, you know, trying to, to help give back to the community and through the, whether it's the podcast, the training, or just being a mentor, you know, that that's uh, very awesome. So appreciate that. Thank you, Robert. Thanks for having me on.